Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this is Hesaf this is william this is ali riley hi this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london is blue podcast Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and I cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener. And with no further delay, let's jump right in. And we are back, Chelsea fans. That's right, another episode of the London Is Blue podcast coming at you from the depths of the dark beyond, Dan. And what in the world are we supposed to do today after a result like that? I mean, I just at a, a complete loss right now. Well, I, I will say that one week ago, the Patriots did win their sixth Super Bowl, and I know that. Man. Well, we did we did put a lot of reverse jinx karma on it. And no, 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 you threw a lot of reverse jinx karma I on did, it. I did, Nicholas. Not, I did. Not us. We we don't care about this anymore. Let's move beyond this. Well, I need to look for some happy spot in my life after today. So, at least I have one. And then, you in the city of New Orleans. That's 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 it. Nick, where are you reaching for any sort of sunshine in your life right now? Well, as the most positive member of this podcast, I um, <laughs> have an endless well <laughs> of positivity that I will I will grab you know handfuls from. I, I don't see any, you know, I, I checked the well earlier. There's none to be found um, down there. So this uh, this was rough today, boys. I'm not going to lie. Um, felt like a, a reckoning of sorts. A reckoning. Hmm. Well, we'll get into that most definitely a little bit. Uh, but joining us back again, at least you have sunshine where you're at. Mike, Ryan, how is it going, my man? Everything is awful. The food tastes worse. <laughs> the air is dirty. The sleep is inconsistent. The, uh, the water has a tinge of rust. Nothing is the same or ever will be. The Chelsea nuclear fallout of 2019 has hit, hit Mike Ryan really hard. Wow. That was, that was poetry in motion. That was beautiful. You're not wrong unfortunately. And that's why we must get back on and try to sort through uh, this junky mess that's before us. Uh, Dan, as we move forward through the script, we do have some more iTunes reviews. 
Uh, please share the lovely comments from the people with the other people. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's that's what we'll do. We'll share some positive feelings and vibes from four wonderful iTunes reviews we got. We had one from Matt from Cardiff, Wales, and he said, yes, it's the same place that Ethan Apadu is from. But he was hoping that it may be a little bit more difficult after today's results that we could give a shout out to his girlfriend, Esme, so that she would become a Chelsea supporter. And I guess I could say is that, Esme, it's not that bad, usually, like this. Poor timing. Nick, poor back timing. me up. Back me up, Nick. <laughs> it's not typically as bad. The, the timing is poor here. I'm not going to lie. Uh, if you're listening to this one in the car or something together, you know, let, let's rally around Esme because the, the things that you're about to hear, let's just say in like five minutes, are not going to be kind. So maybe, uh, Matt, stop it here. And then pick it up next week. That's well, a great idea. Don't, and we also don't had, forget don't forget the happy birthday, Esme, on Monday. Hopefully you guys can have your, your awesome trip to Stanford Bridge in the near future. So we'll get that in. Right. And then we also had some wonderful reviews from uh, Jir, who was uh, asking if we had a Panamanian Chelsea player at some point in our club's history. We have not. So it's another uh, box that we'd like to tick off maybe in the future if there's uh, some talented players we should be scouting to replace some other players on our team we have uh nisi nisi from switzerland giving us a little fire emoji saying great job and then pjfm from the uk saying keep up the go good work the go-to podcast for all things chelsea so leave a five-star review on itunes and we will shout it out the next time we're on the show Back to you, Brandon. All right. Well, uh, a huge, huge welcome to our newest Patreon members, uh, Jair, Simon, and Stu. Welcome to the club. We'll be reaching out very soon with what's coming your way. And then, friend of the pod here, Corey, at 38 Blues, uh, has a request for you, Nick, to kick this show off. Uh, yeah. And and look, this is where we earn the E rating kind of straight away. So parents with kids at home, just, you know, if you're listening to this in an open space. Earmuffs. Uh London is Blue Pod, uh, programming suggestion, question to, le- to lead off podcast, read by Nick Ferlaney. What the holy fuck? And I just read it for you, uh, Corey. So in addition to you producing our wonderful intro with all of our, our player uh, shout outs, uh, I, I did that for you. So, you know, we're just we're earning we're earning your, your respect one uh, one show at a time here. One F-bomb at a time. Uh, wow. Yikes. All right. So I, I I guess we can go ahead and, and, and take our our match review and, and run with it, I guess. So, uh, yeah, here we go. Man sitting the Premier League at the Etihad Stadium this past Sunday. A score was, was 6-0, and that, that is not a joke. That is an absolute state of where uh, this match went. Uh, uh, correct score prediction. I believe Nick had it right. Nailed on. <laughs> okay, just, just. I did. By the way, can we talk about this? In our group, you know, text yesterday, we were all going through our predictions. I predicted a 4-1 loss. And then Dan chimed in, well, are you sure you don't want to be more positive with your... So I went 3-1, which I felt terrible about. And then I felt even worse. So Dan, I blame you for everything. That's good. It's glad we have someone to blame who could clearly be associated with the result on the pitch or in the preparation or build up to the game. Yeah, great, Nick. Real, real excellent analysis leading into this. Thank you. 
appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Well, anyways, uh, Dan, go ahead and run us through the lineup. Well, uh, I would need to have actual Chelsea players on the pitch to run through a lineup. Um, Ross Barkley should be on the other because there's a there's a photo here, right? There's a left side and a right side. Uh, Ross Barkley somehow on the right side under Chelsea players this match. Um, should potentially be on the left side for the two assists. But we did have Kepa and goal, Rudiger uh, and Louise as our center-back pairing with Alonso and Aspilicueta on the left and right side. Jorginho and Conte joined Ross Barkley in that midfield. And then we had En Hazard, Pedro, and Gonzalo Higuain as our front three. Willie Caballero, Andreas Christensen, Emerson, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and Mateo Kovacic on the bench alongside Olivier Giroud and William and... Uh, bonus for Callum Hudson-Odoi and Zappa Costa, who got to watch and be very cold as the um, the slaughter took place in front of their very eyes. Right. So, Mike Ryan, I think the the two kind of decisions I think that a lot of people felt Maurizio made was putting Barkley in over Kovacic and Pedro in over William. Uh, when you saw that lineup, I mean, I guess, how are you feeling several hours ago it is really hard to sort of separate how i was feeling before the match about the lineup and how it turned out um but i was sort of i was excited Uh, i know ross there's a uh, very large segment of uh, chelsea supporters that have been hard on ross especially lately i think uh, in the beginning of the uh, the campaign, Ross was a little bit further along than maybe some of the other midfielders that were in the mix in terms of understanding Saudi's system, and Saudi took a liking to him. Uh, I think that um, our attacking is a little bit more potent with Ross Barkley in there as opposed to Kovacic, who's been... I, I, I don't think I speak for myself here, fellas. Uh, Kovacic has been a bit of a disappointment in terms of the attacking parts of the game so i was sort of pleasantly surprised and down uh for it when i saw Sadi put in more of an attacking flair i think pedro over william is um more uh, is an upgrade in terms of end product and i think barkley is more of a goal scoring threat um that being said we went false nine with eden hazard last time we played them and we somehow won two zero and conti did the similar thing um, and it blew up in his face. So I was willing to see this one through. Obviously, what happened uh, during the course of the game bore out that that was probably the wrong decision in terms of a starting 11. I mean, what what this does for me, though, is it basically it showed me with William not playing specifically that we were going to try and play whatever Serissimo is supposed to be, right? Like, William provides you a counterpunch opportunity just with his speed alone. And I I really thought that we were going to head into this game, bunker down defensively, try and do the thing that this team has done time and time again over the last 15 years, put in a shift, hit a couple of counterpunches, and try and escape with a point. I, I really I genuinely thought that was the way to go, especially after – uh, how the team performed in, in the December 8th matchup. But uh, it was very clear that, you know, on a much bigger field than what uh, Stanford Bridge is, that this team didn't have the gumption to press all game. And if you can't do that, and there are huge gaps between your midfield and your defense, City will eat any team alive. And Chelsea was just the latest victim. Uh, so... It was it was a very very poor approach to the game, and and the players certainly didn't cover themselves in glory. 
not not really. No, I mean that's a very uh, safe assessment, Nick. I would say on your part. Uh, looking at some of the stats here, so Chelsea still forty four percent possession, which is pretty good in regards to Man City. Obviously, it's what you do with it here. Uh, City with fifteen shots, nine of them on target. They scored two thirds of their shots, which is well pretty freaking ridiculous. Chelsea on the other side only having twelve shots. And only four of them on target, which that's probably normal in a, in a game like this. So City, when you look back at the goals, the amount of tap-ins they had, you, you know, when you create such high-quality chances, you're going to get high, uh, uh, you know, a high conversion rate in that sense. Um, other than that, guys, I mean, it, it was really just not a lot there. Uh, you know, the fact that Chelsea may be conceding 13 fouls, not a great look. Um, but here we go, Dan. You've got some insights post-match that I think are pretty interesting, and I'll let you kind of run through these here. Yeah, three of them. So Manchester City striker Sergio Aguero has now scored his 11th Premier League hat-trick, equaling the record set by Alan Shearer, and he's probably going to surpass it, I imagine, Ooh. either some point this season or next season. What what so. only could have been for us, huh? Yeah, just, uh, again, sliding door moment there. Um, really sliding door moment. Uh, Chelsea also have suffered their heaviest defeat in any competition since losing 0-7 to Nottingham Forest in a top-flight match in April of 1991. And then Sergio Aguero scored eight Premier League goals for Man City in 2019, double that of any player in, any, in the competition, and more than 11 other Premier League clubs have managed, including Chelsea with seven. Yikes. I mean, that's just not good. And and because of that, uh, we're really actually not even going to talk about the goals today because there's way more important things that we need to get into. So uh, if you would like a goal recap, just go to YouTube. Uh, but make sure you search uh, Chelsea home to Man City uh, from, from late 2018. It's going to be way better than what you saw today, I promise. All right, so you're listening to this podcast right now, London is Blue, and guess what? We host our podcast on Anchor.fm. That's right. If you're looking to host your own podcast, this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. All right, here we go. So right off the bat, no no skirting around this one. Will Sorry Ball ever work at Chelsea? After the worst defeat in not only the Maurizio era but uh you know pretty much all of Chelsea's era Maurizio Sarri was asked this question explicitly in his shortest post-match post-match press conference of the season um it was only four minutes long he even said he's looking forward to the call from the owner because that's a special thing I, I I don't think Nick he understands what happens when Roman calls managers um history tends to to predict how that conversation goes yeah yeah, uh, it's it's typically um, a pink slip. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if he he knows of what he speaks there. But um, were you surprised that Maurizio had openly said he's expecting talks over his future with the club this week? That seemed surprisingly open to me. Uh, I think he's shown to be an open manager. 
like his comments are refreshingly honest uh, most of the time, and he he's not one to be really cagey, uh, which I I personally appreciate as a fan of of no BS. Um, but I also think he you know might have uh, might have bit off a little bit more than he can chew uh, with some of his more recent statements, especially about the players and and about the uh, now about the owner not having any conversations with him. So, you know, it, it's good to be honest. It's, it's sometimes better to, to hold in some of your honest thoughts uh, rather than lie. <laughs> no, it's Maybe. that that's fair. Uh, so, so Mike Ryan Naz, uh, the journalist from goal uh, quoted, sorry, uh, speaking about sorry ball and if it'll ever work at Chelsea. And Marizzo said this quote, no, because today I didn't see my football. No, no, because at the beginning it worked. Now we need only to understand the reason why at the moment it isn't working. We need to understand the reason it is not easy, end quote. I mean, is this something that you think is going to just copy paste work at Chelsea, or do you think he's going to need to adapt it and tweak it for you know maybe Premier League? Guys, I'm I'm just like really confused as to how we're getting worse in this system as time goes on. I thought the season was actually shaping up pretty well because at the beginning of the season, as the players were starting to learn the season, uh, the system, we were having uh, a pretty successful campaign, uh, getting good results as we were still familiarizing ourselves, and it seems as though the more they play in this system, the worse they look at it and the more holes there uh, there are. You were mentioning how earlier in the pod how Man City's system sort of provides all these chances and they capitalize. That's what Saudi's system is supposed to be, right? Um, creating all these chances. And for whatever reason, when I watch these guys, I don't have the confidence that they can actually get the ball off on target. Uh, the end product is lacking I, I, I'm really, really sort of confused by it. And also, there seems to be overall this huge disdain from the English media that I'm still sort of trying to grasp when it comes to Saudi. They're very hard on him. And um, I recall that they were hard on um, Conte to a degree, but Conte tried to assimilate a little bit. He tried playing the English way, and then when he wasn't getting the results... Then he flipped to his system, and Chelsea went on a huge run. There almost seems to be a real sort of glee that um, critics of outsiders coming into the Premier League, thinking that they can sort of shape the Premier League in their image, there seems to be a real sort of glee from those critics when someone like Asadi or Pep, even in year one, start struggling. And I think that's what we're dealing with right now. I don't know if Sadi is going to make it through because, for better or worse, our club has an identity, and that identity is not being satisfied with these sort of results. However, ownership has proved here in recent years with Mourinho and Conte to be a little bit more patient than our reputation might suggest. So it's certainly interesting times for this club right now, and it's a bit of a sort of transformative period. Um, this can go either way for Sadi. I think he's going to be given more time. I hope he, he is given more time. Um, but certainly interesting to see where things shake out from here. You know, Dan, I think that's an interesting point. The fact that we've actually almost regressed this season, right? Started off great, getting some results. 
the goals have just dried up. It's the weirdest thing. The defense is, is absolutely opened up. There's gaps everywhere. And, and which is weird because we've seen consistently see from our lineups, like the team chemistry should be there. The understanding between players should be there. But again, it's just these weird, like, I, I you know, so about this to, to counter that some people say they're just individual errors that cost Chelsea today. Like, I guess, where do you stand in that debate of individual errors are letting down Chelsea versus the system of sorry ball just isn't clicking? Well, I mean, you, you point to, okay, individual errors, absolutely. Uh, I think Hazard and Alonso probably share the blame on the first goal. Uh, the second goal, what a strike from Aguero, but Barkley gave him way too much room. Then Barkley assisted on the header. Maybe Kepa should have probably came out uh, after uh, Barkley headed it. Um, but there were just so many mistakes. But this system is supposed to provide opportunities to score goals. And I understand you're, you're going to have your lapses. It seems as though we're not closing out on players. We're playing way wide. It's a little frustrating to watch, but that doesn't really explain to me what's happening on the attacking end and why we can look so inept in a system that's supposed to score lots of goals and keep pace with the likes of a, of a pep. Um, I'm sort of at a loss as to what's happening here offensively, whereas defensively, um, up until two weeks ago, we were actually one of the better units in the Premier League, a top two unit, um, despite certain games, like even like the Arsenal match that we won early in the season where we were giving players just tons of space and was puzzling. Um, The goals on the offensive end were at least there to sort of make up for it, and now everything is sort of going sideways on this team the more that they play in the system and it's just puzzling all right dan it's your turn to to just come in last sweep it up and and just solve all the problems of Maurizio's uh sorry ball yeah uh if the manager who's getting paid uh six million pounds a year can consistently come out in the press and say that he doesn't know and that we need to study and we need to look to fix it I I don't know if anyone, unfortunately, uh, for our listeners or unfortunately for Chelsea, because we could just email them a copy of the episode, is going to be able to fix or address the the multitude of problems that we're experiencing right now. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because we were in the driver's seat for a top four finish. We were 11 points ahead of Manchester United at one point. And now they are one point ahead of us. So our top four challenge to return to Champions League is under duress. And I think you are getting to see a very, uh, very quick potential ending to a manager tenure at Chelsea. It's, you know, I think if, if we want to try to take the chances that we have left to do something right with this season. And that's win in win against this Manchester city team in the Carabao cup final to advance in the FA cup and potentially challenge for that. And then to win Europa league, because I think those are the obtainable targets right now. I think a top four finish is going to be extremely difficult when you look at our fixtures relative to United and relative to, um, you know, Spurs is that we are, you know, you might have to make the, the, the tough change and it's unfortunate, but, um, 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think Brandon, oh. you know, ultimately we probably have to look at, you know, what, you know, there has to be some level of risk assessment. We have to assess like, what's the risk, you know, not getting in back in the champions league is a significant risk. And do we feel like Mauricio sorry can still deliver upon that expectation? Really, really quick. I'm going to jump back in here. I, there are a lot of things swirling around in my head because Chelsea Twitter went off the went off the the rails today, um, you know, and and maybe rightfully so this time. Uh, you know, it, it was brutal to watch, and I don't I don't fault anybody for being for having an emotional reaction to what we saw today. Um, there are a few things in my head. One, I think Dan's 100 percent right that the risk assessment that you have to do if you're if you're up at the board level at Chelsea is the the quote that the Maurizio has my tar- my target is to play my football not to change what that says to me is that he values his own system more than he values the targets that are out in front of him maybe um and what i would have loved to see as a quote there would have been my my goal is to reach target 1 2 and 3 i'm hoping that my system can can manifest those uh those results if not, you know, so be it. There's no mention of the target. I think it is a little self-reliant and, and a little bit um, uh, uneasy for me just to hear, like, I, my football, my football, my football all the time. On the flip side, we hired this guy for a reason. <laughs> we hired this guy because he, he, at times, produced some of the world's best football at Napoli. And the question that everybody should have been asking themselves at the time is, one, uh, does he have the players to pull it off here? Answer, clearly no. Two, is the Premier League, you know, outside of what Pep does with with ruthless efficiency and a billion-dollar transfer budget, is it possible to consistently play this kind of football with a squad that is at times as thin as our squad? I also think the answer is no. So... In that case, the hire seems a little bit odd in retrospect. Like if they weren't going to back him, if they were going to give him essentially two days before preseason started, and then you know make make their way through Australia, come back to Europe, do the whole preseason, and then really have to dive right in with four competitions. Like it seems like we didn't set him up for success. He's also not setting him up himself up for success with some of these comments, obviously, and, and the way he sets up the team at times, but. I'm caught between two thoughts there, honestly, because the problems at Chelsea extend far beyond him. And I think it's right to be able to to analyze all of that from the outside. And this is one idiot's opinion, but like, so we, so we sack him on Monday and bring in another manager, Brandon, the problems are still there. It's papering over the cracks. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, it was all weird from the beginning with Antonio Conte staying till the beginning of preseason, Maurizio Sarri coming in right at the very, very end of the summer window, and then Jorginho um, being the main signing going into the season. It was just all weird and not great. Uh, to me, it seems like you know, if the club were holding out over certain, you know, asking demands from Napoli over Maurizio, essentially apparently paid like five or six million more for Jorginho, and that essentially covered the Maurizio cost. It just, 
I don't, it was just, it was really, really poor. It was really, really bad. And I take that into account. But the fact of the matter is, we're, we're this far into the season. And I know Maurizio has said this is harder than what he expected it to be. But he's not coming up with a lot of answers for us, unfortunately. And right. can I uh, can I jump for in it. here real quick? So I, it's all solid points, and I, I just can't sort of separate myself from the fact that okay, I understand we don't have the same squad Napoli had, but we're still Chelsea. You know, we we still have a, a much larger budget. We have more skilled players when you look at the roster sheet maybe not Saudi players but we have really talented players that are to a, an extent malleable and even with that being said the club went out and got Jorginho who was supposedly uh, absolutely crucial to the system and then here we are on the heels of a 6-0 loss getting Saudi the striker that he so desperately needed in Higuain he has a service from the back line in David Luiz, even though we've sort of scratched our heads at times because of some defensive lapses. And then we, I think as the seasons progress, we've realized, okay, the long balls certainly have their value and that's why he's in there. It's not like the club hasn't totally abandoned Maurizio Sadi in terms of getting in the players that he needs. It's not the entire roster from Napoli, but that's also not entirely realistic especially considering the fact that he was under contract and that whole negotiation was complicated so i sit here perplexed on the heels of a 6-0 defeat to a team that we beat 2-0 earlier when he went out outside of his norms and played hazard as a false nine and sort of um sat back a little bit more and conceded some possession i i and Considering how this manager is in the media and how he's searching for answers, I'm just a little confused here. And I don't really think any of us have the answers and we're looking to the manager to have them. And he doesn't have them quite yet, which is just it's 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 absolutely frustrating when you lose a match 6-0. Right. And yep. And I hear you. And I want to just echo Dan's point again of it's hard when we hear over and over that from the manager that he doesn't know. He doesn't know how to motivate the players. He doesn't know why Sorry Ball isn't working. He he just doesn't know. And now, obviously, to give him to a point is saying, I'm sure he has a lot of ideas, and I'm sure he's working through them, but Chelsea don't really give managers a lot of time to work through all of their plans and their guesses and their ideas. So, you know, uh, we will definitely have to see how this how this unfurls. But, uh, yeah, I think there's going to be some serious discussions with the club and him, and I'm, I'm guessing that the club are going to sit down and say, all right, show us how the rest of the season plays out. In your mind, show us you have a plan to achieve certain goals and metrics, and if they can convince him, or if he can convince them, then he'll be here, and if he can't, that board will pull the trigger and we will figure out whatever, you know, has to happen, whether it's Gianfranco Zola, uh, you know, an interim manager. I think it was Matt Lahr. Someone tweeted uh, the fact that, you know, Goose Hiddink is in charge of the China U18s. Thank you for that. We didn't need to hear that, but <laughs> it's clearly <laughs> within the realm of possibility, obviously. Um, real, so the next one I want to say, so are, are Chelsea not able to do it on the road anymore versus the top six? Our waveform is super uh, concerning at this point. Taking a look at the stats via OptiJo on Twitter, Chelsea are now winless in their last six Premier League away games against the big six 
opposition. So uh, again, winless in the last six away, uh, 15. Chelsea have now conceded 15 goals in seven Premier League games against the big six opposition this season. They've conceded 23 in total under Conte in only 20 games. Very leaky defense, Nick. I need a plumber to fix the problem. <laughs> Gary Cahill, step on up. Um, that is no. not the answer to the question. That is we not. Need some, we need I, some world-class finishing, and Gary Cahill can provide it just in our own net. Who, who knows? Honestly, who knows? <laughs> Clearly, our defense, as it currently is constructed, is not getting it done. Um, you know, I, I, It's bad, man. It's really bad. And the reason I felt so anxious about this match ahead of time is that our spacing between our midfield and our defense has been bad for a couple of weeks and a couple of months actually. Um, and, uh, and that's pretty much the key to this thing working. Like, I don't think this system uh, does its best work when you have three attackers who are in charge of quote unquote pressing and everybody, you know, and then you, you drag in Golo and Ross up and then you leave Jorginho isolated and then you leave the defense essentially on their own to deal with any number of threats. Um, think about the defensive performances today. Uh, Cesar Piliqueta, captain got barn burned by uh, Raheem Sterling. Uh, and I love Dave. I think he's, probably still one of the best one-on-one defenders in the league, even though he's had a, you know, an average year by his standards. Antonio Rudiger showed a lot of anger. Didn't show a lot of skill. David Luiz, poor, poor, poor positioning all game. And that brings us to Mark Alonso, who had another just terrible game. Uh, his, his set piece at the beginning is unexcusable. Uh, and, you know, honestly just makes you worry about how he, you know, or what he's possibly thinking about at that moment. Combine that with Jorginho getting marked out of the game again. And that's, that's what you got. Like, honestly, that's what you got. And I don't, you know, I I really don't know how to say it any other way, Mike. I mean, it was, it was individual mistakes leading up to a collective team uh, shit show. Uh, Yeah. Saudi, doesn't seem to have answers for how Jorginho is being marked here in the Premier League, and we're all sort of patiently waiting for what that answer is. And to your point uh, about the spacing between, uh, particularly in the in the back line uh, in the midfield, uh, yeah, it's been bad since the season started. We got away, we escaped earlier in the season with Morata even scoring some goals against Arsenal. It's been sort of puzzling because. As long as I've been a Chelsea fan, which is about 15 years, I, I've i never seen a Chelsea team just sort of ball watch. Um, and I know there, there are examples with Ross Barkley today that sort of jump out, and maybe you can put that on Ross Barkley, but there have been several moments, even with David Luiz, and we've seen David Luiz under different managers um, at Chelsea actually attack the ball and not provide such space. I don't really understand why... Uh, Chelsea, when they're in defense, give so much space to the ball handler. They're sort of afraid of a dangerous pass that the player with the ball can play outside of the fact that they should probably be terrified about the the, uh, the threat from the, the ball handler in that moment. 
I um, there have been so many goals this season, despite them overall being a, a, a pretty solid defense in terms of go- goals allowed. There's so many moments where you're throwing your hands up and you're screaming at the television, get him. And for whatever reason, they don't. And it has to be the system just because we've never seen this before out of several players that have been with this squad over several managers at this point. It's very confusing. Do you guys have any answers? Oh, Go ahead, man. man. <laughs> that is, yeah, I, I'm going to detail all the available answers that I have, which is uh, quite minimal. Actually, what I will say is I actually don't think Jorginho was getting a ton of man marking this game, which was very interesting. Um, I think Conte obviously had a little bit of a rough day in the midfield as well. Uh, we detailed the several issues across this back line, but I think what you're seeing is, one, David Luis in a three-man three back versus a four-man back is a risky proposition, even with the opportunity that he provides moving forward. I think Rudiger, airily, is not our best defender uh, by, by any means. And, you know, you have pace issues on the wings. You know, we, you, know you look at our fullbacks compared to the fullbacks that Manchester City have and the investment that they put into those players, you know, in the 50 plus million range to acquire their services. Our our defense continues to get older and more limited in terms of a skill ability, whereas other teams have continued to get younger in that capacity and go for you know, some individuals who have more comfort playing the ball, some players that are maybe a little bit better in terms of uh, distributing or kind of one-on-one or crossing into the box if that's what the system calls for. So we haven't really upgraded. Like when you look at areas of the pitch where we've upgraded in the past three, four, five seasons, you would say probably with adding N'Golo Conte and adding Jorginho, uh, even though he's had a rough patch recently, the midfield has been a plus area in terms of upgrade. You know, if you look at the attack area and adding in Higuain and, you know, not having done anything else with Pedro or William, you would say that that probably is a, a minus area where we haven't really invested properly. I think Keppa has been a positive movement forward. So you'd say that goalie is a plus area where we've upgraded. And then you look at defense, and I, I don't think you could say we've upgraded from a defensive standpoint. So as players get older as players are not necessarily being played to their their best terms of skill set and you leave probably our best center back on the bench uh time and time again i i, I think you're just expecting you know, it's ludicrous to expect that this is going to get any better insert ludicrous joke here Luda! okay well i don't know how else to make it better honestly if we're looking at it um it's just it's it's gonna Hmm. Let's just. I, I'm just gonna keep moving after that because honestly, like, how else do you do you really solve this? So the the massive goal for the rest of the season has to be top four. Um, Champions League football for this team is, is is essentially a requirement, especially for the financials. Do not forget that. Obviously, it'll probably help for Eden Hazard to stay if that happens too. So. With that being the reality, Dan, I want to tee up again your 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 statistics table here, your probability 
of top four as as it stands right now, and then we can talk around this. Yeah, and no, no surprise that Liverpool, City, and Tottenham are pretty much at this point in the you know, 60 plus 65 point range. They're 10 points ahead of Chelsea and Arsenal. They're nine points ahead at the lowest of Man United are in position right now in the 95 to 99% to qualify for Champions League spot. So right now it's a three-way race, give or take, unless, you know, Tottenham decides to absolutely implode, which would be very humorous and at least provide us some bit of joy in our lives. Um, is that there's a three-way race for the fourth spot, and Manchester United has a about 31% chance, of, apparently, of finishing in the top four, along with Arsenal, and then we have a 43% chance, which I don't know is if it's necessarily taking into account the recent form as much as potentially it should be. The projected thought is that uh, Liverpool and City would be somewhere in a tie of 92 points apiece at the end of the season, given kind of current performance and, you know, potentially goal differential would actually give Man City the, the actual the, the win uh, over in the league versus Liverpool. Tottenham would finish with 81 points, and then we would finish with 72, where Arsenal would finish with 70, along with, with Manchester United. And I, I just don't know, Nick. Like, even though the stats are still saying that we are in the quote-unquote driver's seat for a top-four finish... <laughs> I I feel way, way less confident unless, you know, we are willing to say that we're going to win our matches against Manchester United and against Liverpool and win these really, really big games that we just apparently have no ability to do so right now. I, yeah, I, I, look, I, I think this this chart from 538, like, I know those guys know what they're doing for the most part. Um, this is where the eye test, I think overcomes what you what you start to see from you know any sort of statistical analysis because if you looked at the way Chelsea have played over the last not even just today just the last six weeks uh, how up and down things are like we're essentially flat track bullies against teams that you know we should quote unquote beat at home we can't beat anyone away and we're not really competitive against you know, I, I know that we beat City and we we drew Liverpool and beat Arsenal at home, but like, think about the the away form there. It's not good. So knowing we still have to go to Old Trafford, uh, knowing we have Spurs at home, knowing we still have to go to Anfield, um, you know, look, I, I confident would not be a word that I would put in this diagram if I were a Chelsea fan. Like I. Mike, I don't know what you're thinking, man, but right now I think sixth is probably about as good as it gets for us. As good as it gets? That's the ceiling? Yeah. Well, it, it, On current form, yes. I think we are, like, Dennis Green, we are who we thought we were, essentially. Like, this is, the, this is what the form is telling us that we are. This is such a weird year, and it's such a weird team. Honestly... Uh, would it? I, I know we just got it handed to us six zero, but it's a resilient squad. It's weird how this team finds a way to bounce back when everyone's sort of laughing at them. It's already happened a handful of times this season. Would it surprise any of you guys if 
Chelsea get a win against Manchester United in the FA Cup on Monday. It wouldn't surprise me, given what we've seen this year and what we know about this club and how they can somehow win a trophy despite every player hating the manager last season. It's a, it's a weird, weird team. But yeah, I mean, you ask me how I fancy our chances uh, to make the top four on the heels of 6-0. I'm, I'm in the throes of a pretty depressed state right now when it comes to Chelsea support. It's hard for me to see the forest through the trees. Uh, but I got to have faith that this team is resilient. And they've shown it throughout this season. And maybe they'll bounce back. It's just hard to see it right now. So what I will say, so United... In terms of their challenging matches left, the next one up that they have is Liverpool uh, at Old Trafford. They do have to go play Arsenal away. They get Manchester City still at home. Uh, Wolves could be a, a tricky fixture for, for them as well. And then we play them uh, very, very late in the season on the last three games at Old Trafford. That would be is going to be a huge result for both sides. We still have to play Spurs at home. Um, you know, in terms of like our kind of challenging, we play Liverpool away, play Manchester City away, and then Arsenal uh, also have to play Spurs at Wembley. We what? play United away, not City away. Yes, correct. Yes, away. yes. Um, I, I don't want to have that flashback. I don't need another <laughs> six nil drubbing. Um, you don't want to run that back today. <laughs> no, no, that's that's not going to go back. The, I'm not going to use the VCR rewinding machine to uh, flip that one over again real quick. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and as you go through these these fixtures don't forget i mean manchester united has to play in champions league there's there's psg fixtures and maybe if they get beyond that there that adds an extra level of uh complexity to things even understanding that we're in europa league right yeah and i think this is where this is where that all of this has to be taken into consideration in terms of what the decision is with sorry and our managerial structure and you know are we willing to risk looking at these fixtures, looking at some winnable matches against teams like West Ham and Fulham and Brighton and Burnley still to come that are very, very winnable and that we could write the ship, so to speak. Can sorry commit to, and can he say that he can figure this out and deliver top four? And I would even say, even if he delivers top four and, and this may be very sacrilegious to say, I don't think his job is safe in any capacity heading into next season based upon his rigidity and unwillingness to adapt. And maybe well, because because it comes back then to the same argument we made two and a half weeks ago, either he gets 70% of the squad to be his players, right? To play his football or he doesn't. So like the club will either, significantly back him in a way that they have never backed another manager except for Mourinho part one, or they're, they just won't. <laughs> and like, and, or, or, and like, or not <laughs> like, I, but, but like, those are the options, right? Those are the options is because I don't think he'll want to stay here if they don't. Like, honestly, like I, if you were him in that scenario and you, and you barely eked out top four and maybe, you won one of the two trophies or one of the three trophies that we still have kind of left on the table. Like, would you want to go through this again? Knowing that the players could like essentially do what they've done for the last three managers that we've had. I don't know. I, I, I have, but he, he has gotten support to a degree, right? He got the keeper that can play 
Uh, he no, he team, has a little bit, but not every. Yeah. No, I understand, but he, he he just got the striker, so it's hard to. I mean, I understand he hadn't had that for an entire campaign, and it's still very early in the Iguain experiment. But he, he got Jorginho. He got the keeper that plays uh, uh, well with the ball at his feet. He just got his striker. Hazard is supposed to be a perfect fit in this system. David Luiz is tailor-made for this system in terms of what he can provide in terms of service. I understand that there are certain holes with Kovacic and Conte and even perhaps on the opposite wing, opposite of Hazard. But these players are not bad players, and they've proven themselves to be fairly versatile because a lot of these players have been here through several systems, and they've always delivered. So I don't understand. It's still early in Saudi's tenure, and I know he's still trying to shape the club in his image, but it's not as if he hasn't gotten some uh, support from from uh, from the, the front office in terms of getting him the players that he needs. It, we shouldn't be this far into the campaign losing 6-0. to zero. Yeah, I would agree 100% is that you know, you're you're not going to get five, six, seven players turned over in one window. And I'm sure the club has some thought into, you know, if Sorry continues forward and is the manager next season and we do get a top four finish, you know, that there are plans to bring in two, three new players that will continue to elevate the quality and the caliber of the side, specifically as we are aging out a couple of players, um, you know, Pedro will be on a one-year deal. Uh, William ha- will have one year remaining on his contract. Um, you know, Louise is potentially going to sign for one more year. So there's, it, there will be backing, but I think to make a case and say that Sorry has not been backed would be disingenuous because there have been players that have been brought in for him. Um, but I also think it would be safe to say is that in evaluating the types of players that we have currently, seeing you know, an Alonzo get an extension, seeing, um, you know, makes you kind of just wonder a little bit like where, where is there a true alignment and should Chelsea at some point stop this monstrosity of trying to map players specifically to managers and just again with maybe someone like a a sporting director or a technical director say, Chelsea, you're going to play this style of football regardless of the manager and all players that we recruit are going to fit into this model so that we are future-proofing ourselves against manager turnover because we know it's going to happen at Chelsea and we want to play a particular style of football moving forward. My, my problem with that, though, is you can't always get a manager that fits that style. Now you're pigeonholed to not getting a manager with a good pedigree. You're stuck with getting a manager who maybe can play a certain style. So... Like I, I, I think that you can get some consistency with the types of players you have. They can maybe, you know, mold within it, but not everyone is gonna play a four three three. Not everyone is gonna play a three four three. Not everyone is gonna um, you know Well, it's it's have it's the difference between having like a primary option and then being tactically flexible. Like Allegri is tactically flexible. He has adapted his formation and tactics to all of the incoming transfers that you know Juve's made over the last what four or five years now um and he's done that because like that's what he has at his disposal he's, he's using the ingredients in his kitchen to make the best dish that he can 
and that dish has won league titles time after time after time. You know, it's like that. That's what's slightly the, the quote. My football to me, like I get that Sari has pride in his work, and I get that he thinks that he has done. He he has basically proven himself to everybody in football that when when his you know when his football is played, there's very little out in the footballing world that is you know comparable. But man, he hasn't proven it at Chelsea yet, and so it. To me, it's it's a little bit, you know, putting me ahead of the team you know, from his perspective. And you know, if if he's not getting those types of performances out of the out of the players, I think he's more committed to his style of football than he is to to winning that at that point. If it's not if it's not working, and that's what's a little bit scary, you know. And, and again, one idiot's opinion, but holy crap! Like, if your style of football makes you lose six nil consider another style of football you know there's a man city factor that we should always keep in mind you know they're not they're very they're good. not everton they're very good yeah they're not leicester they're not mid table but they're also not six goals better than us exactly and so there there is there's a massive concern in that um all right well let's go ahead and kind of bring this one to an end i think that we could just uh come up with infinite possibilities of of what can happen and, and what maybe we should do uh, but I, like probably most fans, immediately turn this match off. So can someone shine a light onto Manchester City apologizing for playing Chelsea's anthem one step beyond after the Etihad drubbing today? Yeah, so that, that happened right as the telecast was ending. You heard it actually popping through or piping in a little bit. And uh, they did apologize afterwards, but it was definitely the salt in the wound moment because they cut it a little bit. But yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, always good. Just I think the way it was referred to was uh, top shithousery from Manchester City by playing it. And it, when you when you beat a team 6-0, uh, I think you deserve to rub noses in it because, you know, City have become Chelsea quicker. Uh, at the same time, Chelsea are becoming like an arsenal. And uh, credit to them for figuring out a way to do it. <laughs> Cut me. You no. just cut me. Sorry, I'm sorry, I mean, Michael. It, it, it's why? Why apologize? <laughs> Seriously, like why apologize? Like there's a, if you're gonna troll somebody, like typically that doesn't come with an apology. Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry for trolling you, man. I, I know you just got super riled up, and we've we've gone back and forth, but like you know, my bad. Like get, get out of here. Like that's such a actually, it's kind of weak from them. They realized like, it was so over the line, troll. so inappropriate, Nick. Just highly offensive. Actually, it wasn't. I was kind of surprised they apologized too. They're like, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> just you did it. All right. Like, fair play. When we beat you and we play, you know, Full Moon Rising or something, you know, next season, you'll know why. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, that's, that's kind of what football rivalries are kind of made of, right? Like, a little trolling here, a little trolling there, a little, you know, red card here, red card there. And like, that kind of helps bring this whole thing to a boil. Like, I, Whatever, man. Like, if you win six 0 do whatever the hell you want. Like, you've, I you've, you've earned, you've earned it. it. Absolutely. All right, Dan, go ahead and run us through your four massively exciting options in your Dan of the Match poll today, huh? <laughs> yeah, we Dan. we canceled the Dan of the Match what? poll today. <laughs> it was uh, I, I think uh, much like playing one step beyond having a Dan of <laughs> the Match poll today would have been a little, 
A little, a little too on the nose. Barkley had two assists. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Mike Dean not oh. giving his Centurion red card. Yeah, I, I think uh, Mike Dean would have made it in there as well as Aguero for continuing to just defy expectations and get a beautiful goal. But What about the kit, man? Yeah, Barkley, Barkley probably would have been the right one. Barkley would have been the winner. I mean, Aguero and Dean at the end of the match, too. Understanding uh, that Aguero uh, set a record, but a little too... Uh, little too buddy-buddy for my liking. Yeah, I, they have to be careful because now there's, yeah, yes. We'll, we'll leave it at that. I'm not going to spin off into conspiracy theory. So No, uh, no, you can't, really, you can't really shout campaign against Chelsea when you lose 6-0. I understand. <laughs> You're like, but any other result, and I would have had something <laughs> But if it was 4-0, I'd be yeah. so mad. <laughs> All right, well, as the table uh, stands, uh, Manchester City are – in first uh 65 points on a healthy goal difference of plus 54 unreal liverpool in second uh with a game in hand also in 65 but only a measly 44 goal difference spurs still in third on 60 manchester united in fourth on 51 arsenal in fifth on 50 and chelsea in sixth also on 50 but we're tied on goal difference, which means alphabetical order takes precedence at this point. What a what a what a crock! Absolute shambles. Uh, we are now hanging out with Wolves, Watford, Everton, West Ham, Bournemouth, and Leicester. Because uh, and then after that, it's relegation, guys. I mean, we are a mere twelve points away from the relegation battle. Yeah, we're, we're well, we're we're twelve points ahead of Wolverhampton, but we are fifteen points away from first place. Right. So there's a clear top six, just as you would imagine in the table. And there's a hard break uh, from six to seven. But other than that, like you said, there's one point between fourth and sixth um, and uh, only 10 points between third and that sucks. That 10 point gap to me, like that's hard to take uh, behind a Spurs team. You know, they've had injuries and that didn't sign anyone this summer. And I get the the Potch project is, you know, in year 17 but i just i'm that that one to me hurts i feel like we're such a more dynamic and livelier team uh than than spurs yeah that that i agree with you like knowing we weren't going to win the title that that's embarrassing for chelsea to be 10 points behind spurs at this point a in the stingy year. Um, a stingy director a stadium debacle and they're still just up there at the top like Yikes, man. And and think about United on this tear. Um, you know, obviously Arsenal doesn't scare me as much, but United look like they're they're certainly if you're if you were kind of looking at these, you know, six teams as stocks, you know, you would probably buy United right now and you probably wouldn't buy Chelsea. So that's not that's not very good for us. Three losses in our last five matches, uh, whether as two losses in Arsenal's last five, and United undefeated with only a draw in their last five. So, yep, that'll do it. So, anyways, uh, anything else you want to wrap up with, uh, Mike Ryan? Obviously, a huge thank you for joining us, uh, and we wouldn't be the friends we are if we didn't say a huge congratulations on your guys' podcasting success you've had over there. No surprise. Well done, my man. Uh, Thank you guys so much. Uh, I'll leave you with this thought because it's sort of a sentiment that I can see uh, across social media and certain podcasts I listen to. Chelsea, for better or worse, have sort of found their identity in recent years by not being patient, by maybe even playing a bit of a more 
defensive style of football, valuing trophies over um, even consistency and maybe throwing some of that to the wayside. Yes, Pochettino's in year 17 and doesn't have any trophies to show for it. And Chelsea have been the most successful Premier League club since Roman Abramovich took over. Um, I think a lot of Chelsea fans like myself are sort of sitting back watching this style of play, trying to see, well, what's the point of this? Isn't the point of football to win trophies? And it's difficult to sort of reconcile this style of play um, and trying to even come to grips with giving the manager more time and, and, and pushing against your reputation of being impatient. I just presently and admittedly, it's hard to see it after 6 nil. But it's hard as a Chelsea supporter to see how trophies are at the end of this rainbow right now. Um, and I, I hope I hope this team can once again prove they're resilient. Uh, I really do, because that didn't feel good for anybody. And that wasn't the club that we've grown to love here oh, since the turn of the century. Yeah, um, I, I echo that. Uh, I, th- I think, you know, I, I sent out a tweet earlier and. Uh, it's something that my my CEO, my agency, um, wrote an article about, and the quote is essentially: "Change is inevitable; growth is optional." Right? Change is going to happen regardless. Um, how you adapt to that change, and how you learn from bad experiences, and how you choose to apply uh, those things to your trade to get better, uh, completely optional. Um, my my hope is to to end on a semi hopeful note. My hope is that um, even through you know the chaos that can be Chelsea Football Club at times, um, that there are legitimate learnings that are taken out of this period and that they are applied forward, and that the club can uh, can reinvigorate and reorganize. Uh, I think that's what's desperately needed at this point. And, you know, if they're able to do that, we'll look back at this and, and think about like, oh, wow, that was a that was a launch pad. That was a that was a hard launch pad, but it was a launch pad to something better. Um, so my, my hope is that they do that. Dan, I mean, yeah, this is it. Uh, it's your chance. Yeah. So, um, you know, typically when a new pope is announced, uh, there's uh, smoke that gets uh, sent out from the Vatican uh, when Chelsea sack a manager it's always the corner flag they use, the photo with the uh, club statement. And so if you're listening to this and that hasn't happened yet as of Monday, then I don't necessarily think that Mauricio Sarri is going to leave during this season. And if that is the case, then he really needs to figure out exactly what he's going to do to deliver upon his promise to get Chelsea in a top four or if not top four, win the Europa League so that we can go back to Champions League football. And that is the sole desire that I would have to see at the end of this season is that we are back competing in the Champions League because that's where a club like Chelsea belong. And if he can't deliver it, then I think the club needs to um, do the right thing. All right. Well, that's it. Obviously a tough episode for us, uh, but that doesn't mean it wasn't tough for you guys as well. So that's why, you know, we're here. We're doing it. Hopefully this can spur some some healthy, lively debate this week. Uh, hopefully we will get some answers and we can get some clarity uh, moving forward. But you all are amazing fans. Don't ever forget that. The club is lucky to have us all and, you know, keep on, on um, you know, bonding together. And we'll get through this as always. So, again, uh, a huge thank you to all of you for listening. And we will be back 
tomorrow with part two. So make sure to stay on the look for that. All right, Chelsea fans, that is a wrap. We hope you enjoyed it. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.